0: Now, um, let me just, just kind of unpack this story a little bit. The, the, the Galileans mentioned at the beginning of our text were, we're a group who insisted, it was a kind of a sect or, a, or almost a cult of people who believed that Caesar was not sovereign over Rome, but God was. Now, that's not wrong. That's true. But they also believe you shouldn't pay taxes. That's where they got in trouble. You shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. And so they didn't pay taxes, and they were in rebellion against the nation of Rome. And Pilate didn't like it one bit. Pilate was ruthless. Pilate is the one who said, crucify him or sent Jesus to the cross. Pilate, being ruthless, sent some soldiers to these people while they were offering their sacrifices, and they murdered them. They slaughtered them on the spot. And their blood was mingled with their sacrifice, as the Bible says. So these men now, these informants that have come to Jesus, have come to him with an insinuation in their voice. or something underneath what they're saying. And what they're insinuating is, Jesus, these people must have been really bad sinners. Because if they weren't really bad sinners, this terrible thing wouldn't have happened to them. And Jesus says... No, you've got it all wrong. You're misreading it. He said, let me ask you a question. Were those Galileans worse sinners than everybody else there, everybody else in the city? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. So Jesus is shooting out from under them this notion. that when something bad happens to somebody, the way you read into it is they must have done something terrible and the judgment of God is on them. People do it all the time. Then Jesus said, here's a great chance for me to bring up another situation. So he brings up where there was a tower in the in the town called Siloam. There was this tall, big tower, and people were hanging around uh, the, the tower. And for some reason, it toppled. We don't know if it was a storm. We don't know if it was, a, you know, uh, um, bad construction. We don't know why. But the tower suddenly toppled. And when it toppled, there were 18 people it fell on, and it crushed them, and it killed them. Now, Jesus is going with their logic and speaking to their insinuation. And he said, Now, let me ask you, those 18, were they worse sinners than everybody else in the town of Siloam? And that's why that tragedy befell them? And Jesus answered his own question. And he said, No. He said, Let me tell you the truth about this. Unless you repent, you will perish just like they did. See, here's Jesus thinking. His thinking is, it doesn't matter how you die
1: to him. That's not the big deal. Not how you die. But were you right with God when you died?
0: That, that's Jesus' whole point here. That's the thrust of his thinking. And it, it's what he's wanting to teach these men who have come to him with this story. He, he says, this was not the result, this tower falling. It was not the result of god 's judgment, because unless you repent you 're also going to perish. Now, I want to take this story, and I want to just just bring out some truths uh, that are very, very powerful, and that I think the church need, needs to understand the, the first thing I see here that Jesus is telling all of us is don 't misread the cause of other people 's troubles don't don 't assume when you look at somebody and you see them going through all kinds of trials that they must have done something or they would not be experiencing this. Now, I'll be the first to admit, we can bring trouble on ourselves. Isn't that the worst kind of trial when you're going through something really bad and you know you did it to yourself? It's your fault. Now, that is your fault. If you go out and you sow badly and you're, you're going to reap badly and we bring trouble on ourselves. But more times than not, when we go through trials, it's really not our fault. We live in a devil-infested, sin-infected world where bad things happen to good people. Now, this tendency to attribute somebody's trials to personal tragedies or or personal tragedies to some kind of judgment from God, it's as old as time itself. It's as old as time itself for people to do that. Uh, I think of old Job, poor old Job. I still hurt for Job. I mean, I know he was restored and he got double for his trouble but I still hurt for all the pain that he went through. And he went through terrible pain in almost a day. When you read the book of Job, he lost his home, his children, his health, his wealth, bam, 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 one trial after another, any one of which would have been enough to level almost anybody. But He went through a series like dominoes of trouble. And you know what the worst thing was that happened to him? I, I think it was worse than the troubles. When three friends came to visit him, Job's friends. You ever had a Job's friend? Let me tell you about the Job's friends. Job's three friends were convinced that he had done something, that God had brought judgment on him, or he would never have been suffering like this. So the whole book of Job is these three so-called friends telling Job, Fess up, man. You know you did something wrong. There's some secret sin in your life, or this would never have happened to you. Let me give you one example. One of them's name was Eliphaz. Eliphaz said to Job, quote, stop and think. Have you ever known a truly good and innocent person who was punished? Job, have you ever known a truly good and innocent person who was punished? In other words, you can't be good and you can't be innocent or you wouldn't be going through this. But then he kept it up. He says, experience teaches that it is those who sow sin and trouble who harvest the same. Let me interpret that for you. Job, you're reaping what you have sown clearly. Clearly your sin has found you out because truly good and innocent people are not punished. Do not go through this. If you're good and if you're innocent, you're blessed, 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 blessed all the time, blessed. You don't go through this. You're being punished, Job. That was their message. Come on, fess up, repent, that God might forgive you and take this suffering off of you. Friends, here he is. He's covered in boils. He's, he can't sleep at night. He's laying in ashes. He Even his own wife has said, curse God and die, the devil talking through her. Um. He's lost his kids, lost his home, lost his wealth, lost everything, and now here they come. What did you do wrong? What was that? What's the secret sin in your life? How did you bring this on yourself, Job? How did you elicit the judgment of God? But we know from the Bible that Job wasn't being punished at all. None of this was his fault. In fact, at the beginning of the Bible, beginning of the book of Job, it says we find God bragging on Job. He's bragging on him. He said, have you seen my servant Job, blameless and upright and the greatest man of all the people of the East? Yet yeah, this is how his friends were judging the situation. They looked at his trouble, looked at his pain, looked at all the tragedy, and, and they, were, they were interpreting it and misreading it as the judgment of God on Job. He must have done something really, really wrong to have come under these terrible circumstances. And likewise, the Galileans that were killed must have done something terrible for that to befall them, and and those that were at the tower must have been really bad sinners for that tower to fall on them and nobody else but on them. Why were they singled out? Why did they suffer? Why did they die? They must have done something wrong. But you know what, church? Job's friends were wrong, and God told them that in the end of the book. And these informants who came to Jesus insinuating that those that had been murdered did something wrong and brought the judgment of God on themselves, they were wrong. And the insinuation that those that were killed at the tower had sinned, and that's why that happened, that insinuation is wrong. Because guess what? Those at the tower, it wasn't their fault. They didn't make that tower fall. They were in wrong place at wrong time, and the tower fell on them, And they die. Can I tell you the truth about something today? Christians die in accidents. Christians die from sickness. Christians die. The book of Ecclesiastes says time and chance happens to everybody.
1: And it's not according to Jesus. It's not how you die. It's when you died, were you right? When you died, were you right? with God.
0: That's the gist of what Jesus is telling these men. So so let me ask you a question. When somebody's house burns down or they experience a loss of health or their children die or they lose a job, it's a mistake, says Jesus, to read God's judgment into that. You know what they really need? They need somebody to reach out a hand of love, a hand of encouragement, a hand of strength and say, hey, I see you're going through all kinds of trouble. I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to say you must have done something wrong. I'm here in the name of Jesus to love you, have compassion on you, to hold you up, to encourage you, to pat you on the back, to uphold you, to help carry you until you get through this thing. that That's what God has called the church to do. i give you a, for instance, when, 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 Islamic terrorism struck in New York on 9-11. Did all those people in the Twin Towers, were they worse sinners than everybody in New York? No way. They weren't worse sinners. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And here was the question. Here's what Jesus would have wanted to know. How many of those in those Twin Towers were right with God when their time came? Because you never know when your time is going to come. You never know. What about those 239 people who were on the Malaysian jetliner when it crashed into the Indian Ocean, going right off the radar screen and crashing? Were they under God's judgment for being worse sinners than all other Malaysians, or were they just in the wrong place at the wrong time? And the real question was, how many in that jet knew Jesus? How many in that jet had repented? How many in that jet were right so that when they knew they were going down, they said, Well, if this is my moment, Lord Jesus, here I come. But how many grabbed the seat and said, in the little bit of time they had, how many grabbed that seat and said to themselves, I should have gotten right. I should have been right. I should have walked right. I should have made that decision. I should have started following Jesus way back when, when I had the chance? Jesus says so many times it's not God's judgment. It's because we're in a world of trouble, a world of pain, a fallen world. And in his mind, it is, have you gotten right? Because that's our life. And that's the next point, really. Jesus warns that the real issue is we're in danger of perishing without repentance. Let me tell you what the Bible, how the Bible sees humanity, how the Bible sees the world. Jesus is saying, here's the deal. You're all sinners and will all one day die from one thing or another. And you will all perish in your sin unless you repent. That's the word of Jesus. You know what? When I read Jesus, I realize he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I mean, he burned the house down sometimes with what he said. He didn't just walk around saying nicely, love one another. And Patty, listen, he said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish just like they did. He told the truth undiluted, unapologetically told the truth. He said, you're all sinners. He's talking to these men now who have brought him this report. He said, you're all sinners, and you're going to die one day. And my question to you is, are you right with God? Have you repented? Because if you haven't, you're going to perish like those at the tower did. You're going to perish like those who murdered did, who were murdered. It's not how you die, but are you right with God when you die? Can I say it again? It's not how you die. We're all going to die. But it's were you right with God when you died. According to Jesus, the whole human race is in just as much danger as the 18 that were standing too close to that tower. David, one time, when David was being chased by Saul, he made this statement. He said, I am but one step from death. Nobody in here knows when your day is, when your time is. That's Jesus' point. He says you take the time God has given you to repent and get right with God because your time is coming. It's coming. An unexpected accident or sickness can bring your last day on earth in a moment's time, and the accident or sickness, more times than not, is not your fault. It's not your fault. Those involved in that tower accident, they didn't topple it. They didn't push it over. They didn't make it happen. They were just standing there, and all of a sudden, their day came. When they got up that morning, they had no idea. This is my last day on the planet. A really weird, unexpected accident is going to happen. A
1: tower is going to fall on me. And I'm going to meet my maker. This is why James warns against assuming
0: you have all kinds of time to get right with God. He said, you know not what tomorrow may bring, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Have you ever gotten up and there was a fog on the ground? You look out there and it's foggy and and maybe you go outside 30 minutes later and that fog is completely evaporated. That's your life. You're here a little bit and then gone. You're a blink sandwiched in between two eternities, a camera
1: flash, a nod. Boom. You were here. Bloom. You're gone. But it's that moment.
0: It's that life on this earth, it's that time that God has given us to get right and to serve him. That's Jesus' message. The most important thing to Jesus was the soul of man, not how a person dies. He said, your soul is more valuable than anything on earth. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and all the riches therein and lose your
1: soul? Your soul is more valuable than all the gold that used to be in Fort Knox. You could gather all the riches in all the world and bring it all together
0: in some huge, vast building. And Jesus said, walk away from it if it means your soul, because your soul is more valuable than anything on earth. Earth, gold, silver, diamonds, rubies, your soul. We've all got a soul, and it's eternal. James said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. You're here right now because God allowed you to breathe this morning. Do you know that? The Bible says your next breath is in the hands of God. And people walk around, they walk around arrogant and cocky and act like I've got the whole world in front of me, and I'll do what I want, when I want, where I want. And they don't know that God is holding their next breath in his hands. And by the mercy of God and the grace of God, they live that day. Their heart beats that day. Because when your heart stops beating, your soul goes into eternity, and then it's eternally too, too late. You will not come back as a grasshopper or a cricket or a cow or a dog. There is no reincarnation. It's given unto a man to die once and then the judgment. You know that Moses wrote one psalm? There's one, one psalm that includes the writings of Moses, and, and um, he talked about this very thing. He's, he's talking to God in prayer. Moses, the man of God, the man who talked with God face to face. He's praying in this prayer. Listen to what he says. This is out of the Living Bible, but it's so powerful. Listen, Psalms 90 verse 3, you speak, he says to God, you speak, and man turns back to dust. We glide along the tides of time as swiftly as a racing river and vanish as
1: quickly as a dream. We are like grass that is green in the morning, but mowed down and withered
0: before the evening shadows fall. I have flowers in my backyard. Um, I go by these hanging baskets. And just last week, I had a hanging basket of these beautiful pink flowers just hanging down off the basket, beautiful see it from the road. I was very proud of those pink flowers. And then the next day I went out there, and they're gone. They're all withered and brown and gross looking.
1: I said, what happened to you? You looked great just yesterday. That's you. That's me. Have you been to a high school reunion? You know, you got this memory of those people that were in high school
0: with you. Oh, she was so pretty. He was so good looking. And then you have a high school reunion and you go. And what do you see? A bunch of withered, brown, hanging. And there isn't any place on earth where more lying takes place than a high school reunion. Oh, you look great. Inside you're thinking, where in the world have they been? What did they do to themselves?
1: You see him, he's like, oh, oh, hallelujah, how you doing? Good to see you. Your name was what? Because
0: you know what's happened to them? Listen, listen. We're like grass that is green in the morning, junior high, high school, but mowed down and withered before the evening shadows fall. That's life. That's you and me. We don't last long. He goes on, you spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. Seventy years are given to us, and some may even live to 80, but even the best of those years are often empty and filled with pain. Soon they disappear, and we are
1: gone. Here today, gone tomorrow, that's our life. Jesus said the most important thing is not how
0: you die. It's not how old you are when you die, but what condition were you in? Had you taken the opportunity to repent and get right with God? That's the whole gist of Jesus' statements here. So Moses concludes with this advice. He says, Teach us to number our days. Paraphrase teach us that our days are numbered and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. Be wise with your time. God's given you today. Are you serving Him? Are you glorifying him? Are you walking with him? Is your time being used to the glory of God? Are you spending it on yourself and only on yourself and whatever you want to do? Jesus said that's not wise. Wisdom is realizing your days are numbered and you have this opportunity to repent, which means change your mind, turn around and get right with God and live for God and serve God, redeeming the time, making the most of every
1: opportunity because the days are evil. Our nation is living like such a company of fools.
0: We're not thinking about sin. We're not thinking about how we're grieving God. We're not thinking about the things we're doing wrong that are provoking the judgment of God. We're just going our own way, doing our own thing. It's all about us, but it's not all about us. It's all about Him. And He says, I've given you time. I've given you time. You have precious time. You have today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow is not here yet. You may not have
1: it. This is Jesus' point with the murder of the Galileans and the accidental deaths of the 18 when the tower fell. Be
0: ready for unless you repent and get right with God, you will perish in your sins, which is far
1: worse than being murdered or dying in an accident. That's what he's saying. And finally, Jesus taught that rather than assuming
0: somebody has been judged by God, We should judge ourselves first. One commentator writes this. He says, when people are disposed to speak about the great guilt of others and the calamities that have come upon them, they should first inquire about themselves. I really do believe that God lets some things happen around us that are severe, that are difficult to look at, difficult to watch a terrible accident, something like that, so that we will check ourselves out. It will remind us that one day you die, one day it's all over, and are you right with God? Paul said the same thing in the Corinthian church. He said, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you, or are you just pretending? Are you a great pretender? to be Christians when actually you aren't at all. Billy Graham said the greatest harvest field in the whole world is the American church. The American church is filled with people who aren't saved. They've never met Jesus. They're in church for a variety of reasons. I go to church so I can meet business people and make business deals. I go to church because I'm, I'm looking for to get married. I'm looking for singles. I go to church because... It makes me feel about about myself, that I I went to a religious
1: gathering. I go to church because I like watching him sweat, though I don't believe him. Do you know that Benjamin Franklin was really good friends with the greatest preacher in the world in the 1700s?
0: Benjamin Franklin put the kite up in the air with the key attached to it to find out about lightning, and the lightning hit it. We all know the story, his brilliant... Scientific mind, but Ben Franklin was, was really good friends with George Whitefield, the torch and the flame of the great awakening, the great preacher, the amazing orator, spoke to crowds of 20 and 30,000 people with no microphone, no speaker, because they didn't exist. His voice carried as if by the power of God. And Ben Franklin used to go hear him and he got to know him and they corresponded with one another. He was friends with the greatest preacher on the planet.
1: But somebody said to Ben Franklin one day, do you believe what he says? Talking about George Whitfield, do you believe him? And Ben Franklin said, no, but he believes what he says. Ben Franklin died a deist. A deist doesn't get saved because a deist doesn't believe in Christ. He died a deist. He died lost,
0: according to the Bible. But he was this far, this close to the greatest
1: gospel preacher in the world. But he didn't get it. Unless you repent, you also will perish. Jesus never told you and me not to judge. He just said, judge yourself first. Check yourself out.
0: Paul, again, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians, going to church with all the right words, saying all the right words? Do you know you can say he is Lord and not be
1: saved? No, Jeff, you haven't read the Bible. Oh, I've read the Bible. Now, let me tell you, but but the Bible says you
0: can't say he's Lord, but by the Spirit. Ah, but but you can, and that's not what it means. He says, no man can say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit, and really mean it, and really have experienced it, unless the Spirit of God has brought him to that point. But you can lip-sync anything. You can say, oh yeah, he's Lord, he's Lord. You can have all the right words, all the right verbiage, and go through all the right motions and still be lost. Why worry about a speck in the eye of your brother, said Jesus, when you've got a two-by-four in your own? Should you say, friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye? And here's somebody, I picture, he's in an ophthalmologist's chair. He's back there. His eyes are open. They're dilated. And here comes an ophthalmologist with a big two-by-four in front of his eyes. And he said, let me operate on you and fix you. We're going to say, dude, get that two-by-four out of your eyes before you touch me. See, we... We do the same thing. That's the whole point with Jesus' story. He says, you're looking at these people that had the accident or they got murdered, and you're saying they were worse sinners. But I'm telling you, you need to look at you. Friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't even see the see because of the two-by-four in your own. Hypocrite, first get rid of the two-by-four, then you can see to help your
1: brother. I've often said the church has a grapevine the winemakers, Ernest and Julio Gallo, would envy. So, well, man, I came to church today to get
0: edified. I'm kind of feeling, listen, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. This is just Jesus. This is Jesus. And what I'm saying is that the great that's in churches, I mean, rumors, unfair judgment, criticism, gossip, all too often characterize church life. You know, there are people that are not in church today. They were so leveled by gossip and innuendo and rumors that were spread about them. And they just said, you know what, if that's church, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And, and here's the deal. Jesus said, Jesus said, focus on yourself, get yourself right, get yourself healthy, and then you can help others. And you won't do it with pink finger pointing. You'll do it with love and compassion and embrace and carrying them and upholding them. The story is told of a woman named Mildred. If you're a Mildred in here, I am not talking about you. I know nothing about you. The story is told of a woman named Mildred, the church gossip, and the self-appointed arbiter of the church's morals. Every church has one. I don't know of one in our church, but there's probably one out there. There's no reason I'm sharing this. Nothing has happened. I just know church. So here's the deal. She was the church gossip and self-appointed arbiter of the church's morals, and she kept sticking her nose into everybody's business. The Bible calls that a busy body. It's a body always busy with other people's stuff. Several members were unappreciative of her activities, but they feared Mildred. If we confront her, she's liable to go out and start rumors about us. So I'm just going to leave the woman alone, and turn her over to God. But she finally made a big mistake, Mildred, when she accused George, a new church member, of being an alcoholic. After she saw his pickup truck, Parked in front of the town's only bar. One afternoon, Miller was going into town, small town. She passes the one and only bar, and there's George's, the new church members' pickup truck. She goes, oh, I wonder what George is doing in there. She went into town, spent a few hours, and then turned around, and came back, and the truck is still there. So Miller now assumes he's got to be an alcoholic. He's a secret alcoholic. I need you to tell other people so they can pray for him. That next Sunday, she commented to George himself and others that everybody seeing his truck in front of the bar knew what he was doing. George, you should not have been in front of that. Where were you doing in front of that bar? You must be a closet alcoholic. If he wasn't a drunk, his pickup wouldn't have been there. George, a man of very few words, stared at her for a moment and then just walked away. He didn't say anything, didn't defend himself, didn't explain, didn't deny. He just walked away, and later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house and left it there all night long. I like George. That's ingenious. How many of you think Mildred stopped? (laughs) Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Now, let's recap this because I want us to go out of here remembering what we said. So say this with me first. Don't read God's judgment. Now, I have about 10 of you. Let's, let's do everybody. Don't read, Don't read God's judgment into other people's troubles. Second, we're all in danger of perishing in our sin unless we repent. And third, judge yourself first. Judge yourself first. Are
1: you right with God? Let's pray, can we?